coming to you from the lab, where we talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Riding Shotgun is my co-host, Big Keith. I'm your host, Mike, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to The Gun Experiment, episode 12. This week, Keith and I speak to a very, very popular and fan favorite of mine, discuss mental toughness, and shoot the shit about guilty pleasures. I just want to remind everyone that we drop new episodes on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, by my side, the big man, Keith. Keith, how are we doing tonight? Doing great, Mike. Having a good night. Got uh, got ready for tonight a little early, so I'm feeling like not rushed like I normally am. I know. Me too. And, uh, you know, just it's been a great week. You know, it's been uh, a lot of nice weather, a lot of golfing, been, been enjoying nice. life. Nice. So I hope you'll uh, indulge me a bit. I want to sort of wax poetic for a moment. Um, and uh, I got asked a question the other day by someone. They said, oh, you're podcasting. What made you decide to do a podcast? And I went into this kind of story. And the story kind of goes like this. A few years back, I'm driving to work every day. And I'm like, I need something to listen to besides music. And I started looking for podcasts. And I come across this podcast uh, called Gunfighter Cast. And I, I instantly like it. I'm listening to every episode. It's great. Um, and it's done by a, um, Marine by the name of Daniel Shaw. And that's kind of what got me into. I started listening to that and then I got into other stuff and eventually decided I wanted to do my own. So, you know, it just kind of, uh, you know, you got to take a look back sometimes and, and go and see like, you know, what got you into this whole thing. So with that said, our guest tonight is a retired U S Marine Corps infantry leader and combat weapons, master instructor, founder of Shaw strategies director of marketing at Gun Mag Warehouse and host of the Gunfighter Cast podcast. Please welcome Daniel Shaw. Daniel, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. That was a, that was a pretty awesome introduction. I, I, really I have to tell you, all Americans should strive for that introduction. <laughs> Maybe the best introduction I've ever had. Uh, that, that, um, but no, I, I'm flattered and, and uh, honored that, that, that podcast that you know I started a long time ago has has influenced a lot of people and didn't had no idea it was going to do that. And it was really cool to hear that, that you know it, it got you starting present or spreading uh, good information and good messages. That's really awesome. Yeah, man, and I and I you know I have to say uh, I'm going to try not to fanboy out too much tonight, but uh, but I, it really is like it's kind of cool for me. It's kind of like one of those things, like a full circle thing. It's like here I was listening to you, and now you're on my show, and it, it's just really cool for me. So I, I do appreciate you being on the show. Oh man. My pleasure. So anyway, I kind of want to get into it. And, you know, I, I ask this question pretty often. It's kind of like the, the start of every uh, show, I feel like. But how did you get into, into firearms? Like, was the Marine Corps where you first became introduced to firearms? Is that where it started? No, my dad was uh, a deputy sheriff. And um, we, uh, which we were around guns a lot. You know, just his, you know, duty weapon and the occasional rifle and, and hunting with shotguns and hunting with rifles and just deer hunting and that kind of stuff. So I was kind of into it a little bit in, in high school on the hunting side of things. And, uh, you know, a little bit of plinking, I guess you could say. And you know, my dad taught me the safety rules and, uh, shot my first handgun with them, rifle and shotgun. So, you know, I was into it, but just thought I knew a lot of things, you know, and I was a young 16 then turned 17 years old kid. And, thought I, I knew a lot about guns like most of us, I guess, at probably uh, 15, 16, and 17. And then I joined the Marine Corps, and I got handed uh, M16A2, and it had this little hole in the end. And I thought, there's no way this could be the gun that we take to war with this little 22 <laughs> size hole at the end. And uh, it was my first experience with AR, actually, or that pattern rifle. Um, so then I got introduced to a whole new world. <laughs> Yeah, it, it definitely set the foundation for uh, an entire career for you, right? Yeah, in a lot of ways. It was, a, it was a strange transition to begin with. I grew up, don't touch the metal on the shotgun or the rifle or whatever. You know, some, right. uh, don't, don't do this. If you do, you got to oil it and wipe it down and everything else. And next thing you know, right. I'm, I'm dragging a rifle through the mud. And I think it was, uh, it was a, picking it up and seeing if it fires. <laughs> yep. Dan, you said your your dad was you know a sheriff or deputy sheriff, but is what what made you decide to be a marine? Did you, is that in your in your family uh, history military service? No, I've got a uh, my grandfather on my mom's side was a um, he was in the navy for uh, quite a few years, and um, he 
he got out as a, a chief, I think it was. Um, and my uncle was in the Air Force for four years. But other than that, nobody has ever been in the military. Uh, I grew up in a pretty strict house at the time. My dad's chilled quite a bit now. But at the time, it was, uh, you know, I couldn't play with G.I. Joes because G.I. Joes are dolls and guys don't play with dolls. Right? We, there was wow. many, many yeah. years of my life where they, we didn't they, have a they TV were made, or a VCR. What? They were made to be dolls for men. <laughs> They're action figures, to what we would say. Right? Sorry, sorry, um, sorry. Don't tell your dad I called him dolls for men. <laughs> yeah, so I, I couldn't even do any of that, like Transformers. All kinds of things. He eventually loosened up on that when I got a little older, but there was a long time there. We didn't have TVs or anything else. We would, we would get a TV and a VCR. We'd donate it to the church or something like that. And I'm not trying to sound harsh on my dad. you know. It, it, yeah, no, just the way you great. were raised. You know, just, yeah, we just all have these was, stories, you know? Daniel. Yeah, we right. all have these stories. <laughs> well, sure. like this, yeah. And because uh, I ain't mad at them, we're not. But it's uh, but I, I read a lot of books. That's what I could do, and they had to be like mostly either Christian leaning, and I could read military books that had like a Christian leaning to them. And uh, I, I read quite a few of these, and I kept running across these military soldiers that were called Marines. I didn't know the difference in an army cat and a, a Marine or anything. And then I started seeing more and more, like, oh, it's a, like a branch. It's like these are a certain group, you know. And I, I mm-hmm. was like. Wow, they're th- these are awesome. I, I want to know if I can do this. Can I be tested this way? I was kind of an athlete, played a lot of sports, and uh, you know, I, I saw a lot of, as I got fifteen, I think, years old. I was um, uh, some friends were getting into trouble and, and doing some stupid stuff, and and I wasn't, and uh, I often, you know, just made better decisions than they did uh, on not doing stupid things, or at least made the, did, did stupid things, but did them in a way that was not likely for me to get caught. And uh, right. where they did not have that uh, level of intelligence, I guess. And um, <laughs> so it, it, at some point I was – and they were all talking about what they were going to do. They, like they were probably just thinking with the wrong head. Yeah, exactly. That happens a lot. Uh, I've been guilty <laughs> of that myself. But the um, – I, I, I just – I started thinking about this a lot more. The day I turned 16, I went to the recruiting office and I was like, hey, I want to join the Marine Corps. And they're like, yeah, you're a little young. Come back in two years. I'm like, ah, wait a second. I graduated from high school next year and then i turned 17 um on this day and then a month after that i will be graduating high school and uh i my parents are going to sign for me and they're like oh okay we can do this so uh um i I wanted to do something else man i I can't say that i wanted to do something bigger and better for myself or you know there was a big part of me that after a lot of my influences in books and things that uh, i did want to serve my country i wanted to do that but what i really wanted to do was uh, get out of the same thing every day that our lives were with my friends and everything else, love them to death and everything else. But it's just like, I, I did not want this to be my life forever. Like mm-hmm. I've seen you know, other people growing up and, and stuff. And uh, so I wanted to see what else was out there. And uh, I wanted to test myself. You know, and a lot of people told me I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't make it. I couldn't hack it. I wasn't tough enough. I wasn't big enough. I wasn't strong enough. And that uh, gave me even more motivation to do it. So I was on the Yellow Footprints at Paris Island on May 26, and I had just turned 17 on April 1st. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, so a couple of things. So first off, thank you for your service. You're welcome. Yes. Um, <clears throat> where did you grow up, Daniel? Greensboro, where- North Carolina. Okay. Oh, I know Greensboro. So um, one of the things I want to say, and this is like, you know, again, listening to you from years ago, and I, like, I watched some of your videos and stuff, and... You know, sometimes I think there's like there's an image of the Marines, um, and I have to say every time anything I've ever watched from you, um, and I know that you're super capable, but like you're the most like very humble. You know, I never get this like kind of like like I don't know, like maybe tough guy. Like you don't you don't come across with that. And there's only there was one ex- one exception to that one time where someone must have done something that really got under your skin, and I think you posted something on like Instagram or something where. You basically said, just because I don't doesn't mean I can't. And I just want to say, I respect that a lot. I respect the fact that like you're so humble and like, you know, you're just like a kind of a gentleman and you don't kind of play that, that role. So it, it's, it's kind of rare, I think, you know, especially in the industry you're in. Oh, no, man, I, I appreciate it. Uh, with me and Varg Freeborn, uh, we do a lot of stuff together right now. And uh, we did a podcast about this recently about, uh, self-control and ego and things in the industry and and for the armed citizen out there and ego getting you into trouble and a lot of stuff and you know we all have egos and and different things and it's um I 
I, I one of my favorite compliments that I get a lot is, um, well, you, are you sure you're a Marine? Because you haven't reminded <laughs> us 10 times in the last five minutes and you're not all rah, rah, loud and this and that and everything else. And, you know, it's, it's not, it's not who I am. It never was when I was, you know, in leadership roles in the Marine Corps. It was never that yell at person, people kind of guy. It was like, I, I always had the ability to persuade people to do a good job, not just make them do a mediocre job. And it's, um, I, I've been reminded so many times that, uh, I am a moron and, um, I fail at things enough times and I've been wrong about enough times that it's not that I don't have a high level of confidence in what I do and everything else. It's just, there's always a part of me that reserves this idea that, you know, I could be totally wrong about this, you know, and I say it all the time that I am, uh, I've been wrong about so many things in my life that chances are something that I'm going to teach you in this class right now over the next two days is going to be wrong. It's a sign of a good leaner, Daniel, being able, being able to do that. Yeah. When, when you're lead, I think when you're leading men, I think that's an important trait because you, a lot of men cannot say that they're wrong, but man, when you do, when, when, I a, when a man, oh. I, 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 you can hate it all you want, but when a man apologizes, apologizes or offers an apology, there's something about that, that man, there's just that, that's like a I, real I usually, set on you. I usually try to argue that I'm not wrong for at least 10 or 30 seconds. And then maybe <laughs> oh, I'll, I'm guilty of that too. I'll do that too. Cause I don't like it either. I don't We're enjoy all stubborn. it. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. But no, I really appreciate that. Um, and it, it is, it's, it's not that image that I'm just trying to put across, you know, it, it's uh it is a constant effort of somebody that, that I do try to be, you know, somebody who is grounded and humble and I'm trying to figure out things because I have been wrong about so many things. I want to make sure I'm not wrong. It's more important for me to be right for the people who trust me and listen to me than it is for my ego to feel like I know everything. All right. So we've, we've kind of uh, given the listeners, we've let them know that you're this humble, you're this great guy, but I want to go to the other side of this thing. So while you were in the Marines, um, you were involved in extreme hostage rescue. I don't know what that is exactly. I mean, I can kind of like put it. It sounds cool. It it's an extremist hostage rescue. It was about a year of my my time in the Marine Corps, and it was one of the funnest years of, of my time. Uh, it's uh, actually uh, an extremist is, is how you say it, I, I think. Is oh, okay. How you say it. But um, it's in the most extreme, like in the most uh, difficult environments is the idea. It's not like a hostage rescue in a house where um, – the only bad guys are in the building. It's like there's bad guys all in the area. You're in a completely non-permissive environment from insertion to maybe even entering country, uh, also into you know making a movement to the crisis site and then breaching or infiltrating the crisis site and then exfiltrating. And uh, so it was it was a lot of fun, a lot of training, and and that that team that I was on, and I was basically on it because my platoon. Was get, we were getting ready to go on a, on a float, a Marine Expeditionary Unit to the Mediterranean, and uh, it's part of the Special Operations Capable uh, uh, title that, that the MU gets if they pass a certain amount of things. And one of those is uh, oil platform recovery, rescue and precious cargo, SAT photos, uh, high-value targets, um, high-value individuals, and, um, and rescue and hostages and, and ambassadors and that kind of stuff. So it's um, – I, I was put in front of all these super high-speed force recon guys at Special Operations Training Group, and it was my really my just I had been I've been in for about six months, seven months, and then I started this whole program with them uh, because our, our weapon system that we used is, was mostly obsolete at the time. So uh, we got my platoon got placed on this uh, additional duty, and uh, we spent six months out at um, Special Operations Training Group training with a uh, Force Recon platoon and training by the guys who teach out there, which are all Force Recon cats, usually from 2nd Force out of Lejeune. I've never been Force Recon, never went to Recon Battalion, never done anything, just a regular old infantryman. Um, but the, hanging out with these guys at such an early stage in the Marine Corps, I saw a high standard in shooting, in thinking, in tactics, in work ethic, in mindset, in learning, and sharing and, and information and, and all that. And, uh, it was, it, it was probably the, the best thing that could have happened to me in the Marine Corps was just wow. being around these people and them just dumping information into me constantly. And you're probably like a sponge at that age. You're probably like soaking it all up and just, you know, man, I was just always taking notes and not talking. Yeah. And if I got a chance to ask questions, I would ask questions, but I would like be very careful to make sure I was actually asking a good question because I didn't really <laughs> know enough to ask good questions. 
<laughs> right. But I was just learning so much all the time and, and not just the shooting part, but just everything, tactics, thinking, mindset, security. Like there was just always something that, that these guys knew and they would start talking about and just blow my mind and like things I'd never even considered. What were some of the, the uh, shooting tactics that you that you got to learn? Was it all with AR or were there other platforms that you... We used ARs. They were using MP5s at the time. The Force Platoon were before we switched over. Pretty much everybody to M4s or um, whatever M16 variant we were using. But uh, we were using M16A2s with old mag lights hose clamp to them with a little spacer in the back. And uh, <laughs> you take an old parade sling and use some 550 cord and make a two point sling out of it. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it was old yeah seriously. Some super heavy, super thick armor because you used to have just regular old flag jackets at the time, and uh, but we had this high speed at the time. It was high speed. Now it was like laughable. Um, <laughs> the uh, the armor we wore it was huge and bulky, but we thought we were so awesome wearing it. <laughs> That's cool. So now, see so you 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 soak up all this this knowledge. You you know, obviously you you do your you uh, you serve your country, and that brings us to a more present time um and you start Shaw strategies now did you start that how how soon after the you left the marines did you start that well um i started it i started a company called paratus academy right after i got out of the marine corps and then i went to work for uh, an academy in kansas and then i left there and started uh shaw strategies but that was thunderbird tactical was that thunderbird Thunderbird. tactical right Mm -hmm. yeah i was there for a little over three years and uh, the 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 backup just a hair. This is where it all kind of, and this is kind of where my mindset today came from. Uh, there was a gentleman that I need to link up with here in Texas named Scotty Reed, uh, Scottish accent. Uh, I don't know his first name. We everybody called him Scotty. It was his call sign. But he was one of the biggest influence. I always wanted to press, impress this guy, um, and I and he and he was very hard man to impress. And uh, out of like forty six of us, nine of us qualified to go into the crisis site. Um, to be trailers for the force recon guys. And I was one of those. We had these crazy qualifications every Friday uh, that you'd have to keep passing or you get put out on a blocking position. And a blocking position was you get, you don't get to go on the crisis site. You're sitting out on a blocking position, making sure no bad guys come to the crisis site. And we didn't want that. Everybody wanted to qualify. So it was very tough and I was always trying to impress him, but uh, how much I learned from him and everything else. And he, he lives not too far from me since I moved to Texas here. So I'm trying to find him and, and, and link up with him. But he's one of the biggest influence on me uh, from just to his his standard that he held me to and everybody else to and his, his attitude and how he presented information and, and the way he did it and, and everything else. It had a lot of effect on my my teaching style throughout the Marine Corps when I started coaching rifle and, and teaching rifle and handgun and uh, things like that. So the funny thing was I was standing next to him and all these other force recon cats with a, a notepad, writing, taking notes. And then I, I go uh, do my, my float and everything else. And then we come back and I get sent to Paris Island to be a coach on the rifle range. And then I'm a coach for a while. I'm a primary marksmanship instructor. I move up through the whole system there, coach, block NCO, tower NCO, primary marksmanship instructor. So I'd have a whole platoon of recruits that I'm teaching and uh, they're all taking notes because I'm teaching them how the whole, I was one of them a few years, a couple years before, you know, like three right. or four years before. Um, sitting there wondering if this was the real gun that, that we use, if it was just a fake one. For real. I had no idea. And uh, yes, I was one this of those. is the real gun we use. But I had learned so much and I still didn't know anything, you know, but it's uh, and then I, I go do that for a while. And then I, I end up um, working down there for a little bit. Get to, got to go to a few pretty cool schools and did some stuff on my own, uh, learned even more stuff and learned more that I was wrong about. And then then next thing you know, I'm back in the fleet and um, the fleet Marine Force and I'm going on deployment to Iraq and I'm getting these Marines ready and teaching them. And then I see all these Marines never talking and just standing around me taking notes. And <laughs> it was like the same thing that, that I was doing. And I had all this information. Some of it was wrong that I was giving them at the time. And they were on right. that. I realized that I had kind of become what I used to look up to. And I was that to these guys. And they believed every word that I said. And I realized that if these people are going to believe every word that I said, they're going to trust in their lives to my information that I'm giving them. I've got to sure. be right. I can't yeah. be wrong what about a- this stuff. What a heavy revelation, right? Yeah, it was. It was huge, and I, I can I remember when it happened. I remember what range that was on, uh, at Camp wow. Lejeune, and everything when wow. I when I noticed it, um, and I, I I I that's when I really started diving in and making sure that not only did I know that thing that I was teaching, but I was doing my best to understand all the other surrounding influences and everything else that 
that could occur or possibly could influence everything else. Um, and then I learned that everything else I was teaching was wrong, you know, and it's just, it's just, that's why I'm saying when there's constantly, and, and a lot of us, not when I say wrong, not like the going to get you killed, but like there is a better way or there's a better way to yeah, present you, it. You, or a, you have to be a constant uh, learner. Yeah. You have to want to learn all the time. I mean, and I don't think it, it's not just for the things we're talking about tonight. It's, it's in life. In general. Sure, whatever, yeah, in general, whatever industry you're yeah, in, whatever Yeah, I'm not the same dad to my, my second take. son as I was my first son. I'm not, not the same person. Not the same dad. That's yeah. fair. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. So, Daniel, so I, I know you train civilians. You also, I'm sure you train law enforcement, military, right? You do all of it. But so when, when someone is in your class, regardless of who they are, what their level of training is, what are you, what are you looking for them to walk away with at the end of the day? And obviously that may be different from one person, but overall, what it makes you go, okay, that was, that was good. Like that, that, that worked. What are you looking for from people when they leave your class? You know, that the, this could be a very long <laughs> answer, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to keep it short. The, um, it really depends on the person a lot, but I, I want to see an increase in capability. I want to see, uh, an increase in understanding, not just, uh, an increase in knowledge, but also, but understanding and, uh, an increase in capability and what they're doing. Uh, I want to see better weapons handling and I want to see understanding of why they should continue to pursue having better weapons handling and safer weapons handling. Um, that's what separates the rock stars from the groupies is weapons handling. And mm-hmm. it's the, um, I want, I want to see that. I don't care if you're, you know, uh, a, a cheer mom or a soccer mom or dad or a SWAT cop, you know, everybody's going to get something, but I, I want to also inspire them to get more training. I don't want anybody to ever come just train with me and think they got it. I make that very clear that you need to train with me and get everything you can from me. But I have different priorities than Jared Reston does. I have different priorities than Steve Fisher does. I have different priorities than, uh, uh, Pressburg has. I have. We all have different priorities. Things that we experience in our life that matter to us, and, and even some fights that we've been in. Uh, and we're going to all present those in a very strong way. Our priorities. And there's some things that we skim over that somebody else is probably hitting really hard. So it, you need to continue your training. So I want to inspire people to continue to learn and do homework. And I, I want to give them a lot of information so they can go home and practice. I, my classes aren't, I don't do a whole lot of up drills and let's shoot 10,000 rounds. I have relatively lower round count classes because whenever we hit a topic, they always build to the next thing. Um, and whenever I, I finish one thing, when, it, when I can see that, okay, they understand what they're doing, they understand why they're doing it, and they understand how to replicate it on their own and self-diagnose problems, then we're moving to the next thing and layering something else on it. I'm not going to drill something a thousand times and they're tired of doing the same drill over and over again. They can do that on their own when they're not paying $400 for a weekend to hang out with me. Yep. I'm going to give them information and uh, they can go drill with their buddy all by themselves once they've got that down. And that's a a much better class setting. The what? That's a much better class setting, you know, one where you're going to, you know, you can pull the trigger and shoot, a, you know, like you said, a thousand rounds when you want, but learn the technique. Yeah, I think of it as homework, you know, like this is, you're going to learn what you're going to learn in class. Now you got to go home and do your, all your homework after class. Yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously like, you know, you're a firearms instructor, but <clears throat> I know I, I've, I mean, I've heard it on your, on your podcast and stuff. I, you know, you talk tactics quite a bit. Um, aside from just, because most people are going to carry a gun on them, concealed carry, and they're never going to ever take it out of its holster other than put it back in the safe. So with that aside, aside, if we just say, forget the gun for a second, are there any like, like what are some of the like mistakes you see people make? Like when you're in public, things that you see. So one that I'm a guilty of, but also see other people do all the time is like stay in my car. I get in my car after going shopping. And the first thing I do is go on my phone and start texting somebody. And I really should have my head up and kind of like looking around. That's like not really the best tactics to sit in a parking lot you know, at night or whatever, just on my phone, but something like that. Are there things that you see that you're like, man, that guy's messing up big time. Yeah. And without like nitpicking and, and going after some of the cliche things, like keep your head on a swivel and, and do this and be the great man, <laughs> blend into the background. Watch your peripherals. Within inside of me, there is a wolf and a lion. And, <laughs> like, there's not a wolf and a lion inside of you. Like you run your ass from wolves and lions. Like there's whatever. So it's, a, it's, cool. um, what is self-control is what it is. That's what, that's what I think that I see the most mistakes made, um, out there in life and on the range is 
is and on a YouTube, lack of, see a lot of self control, lack of self control on YouTube. Yeah, there's yeah. just tons a lack of self control. It's it's like I open the door for somebody and they walk by and, and they don't say thank you, or somebody cuts in front of your line and people start something that could escalate something really really bad. Uh, just like mouthing off to somebody, whatever. It's like the the lack of self control. If you really are, me and Varg talk about this a lot. Like mission. Uh, if your mission is to to stay alive and protect your family, and for you even <laughs> in the absence of your family, for you to stay alive so you can continue to provide for your family and protect them when you're there. Um, and you are mouthing off to somebody in line that you don't know that just did ten years in the the clink and has a trifolded tuna can shiv and his arm re- hand ready to stab <laughs> you like twenty times, and you have to say something to this guy to save your ego because you have no self control because he's ready to escalate this much higher than you are. You know, it's it's yep. uh you're you're making mistakes out there. So I see that all the time. I see it on the range, and I talk about it in classes. If someone shoots around and they get really upset and they fall apart throughout the rest of the drill because they did something wrong or because they had some kind of problem or something that they created and they, they lose all confidence and all self-control and start getting, you know, bad weapons handling or just start shooting bad or not moving well, not thinking, not putting the gun on safe before they make a movement or anything. It, it, whatever it is, because they start going down this um you know, quicksand of, of, of beating themselves up or whatever it is. Um, if you can't, if you can't, uh, if you don't have self-control on a range, just shooting and staying calm, trying to stay in that zone, trying to reach like a flow state. If you don't have self-control to be able to do that on a range when you're shooting, then I, I would question whether you need to carry a gun because you are not going to have self-control in a gunfight when your life is on the line. Innocent people are, or lives are on the line. There's a person trying to kill you. Uh, you might be better suited in, in practicing running and being able to run fast. And it's uh, – because it there's if you can't you have to be able to control yourself and control yourself out there walking around in the world control yourself on the range uh, everything is a so every everything that you run into in life is an opportunity it's something that we can train constantly whether you're on this podcast right now and there's something that you really want to say and you want to interrupt me or, or one of the other people here uh, or or if it's uh, you're driving your car and there's somebody cuts you off. You're in a gas station. Somebody cuts in front of you in line. Whatever it is, you have opportunities to train the most important thing that can keep you alive more than anything else all day, every day. And are you training properly and are you getting that perfect practice or are you screwing up constantly? What What are some of the things that people say made them come to some of your classes? Like what, what are the – you know the the uh, the triggers the the motivation that that gets them to actually sign up to hang out with you for a weekend and learn something. You know, I've had a lot of people that um that have been in violent incidents and they didn't own guns and they didn't really even believe that they should or anybody should own guns and they had something happen to them that realized like I need that I need something to equalize here. And uh, they end up learning about guns and they find me. And I, I think I have a very welcoming class and, and demeanor for new shooters. Uh, there's a lot of us out there that, that a lot of people know about in, in the U.S. that we share a lot of the same students, you know, because it's kind of like the same group up there at a certain level that trains with a bunch of different people. And But I, I think – but I, I get a lot of brand-new shooters that somebody just talked about word of mouth because I don't do a whole lot of advertising online. Has that anymore. always been that way since you've been doing that, or is that increasing? It, it has, actually. That's yeah, great. I mean, I'll get That's tons good of guys who have trained forever. I, have, I always have a weird mix of people who are just like super awesome and then brand-new people. M- Mike and I talk about that all the time, and especially on this podcast. We just – you know, we just want to have a place for new shooters to feel comfortable. And, and it's a big world, you know, firearms and, and, and tactical shooting and, and defensive shooting. Like it's, it, there's a lot to it and there's a lot of different things and there's a lot of mistakes to be made and it can be intimidating for a new shooter. So uh, that's, that's great to hear. Well, they that. always that's- think that they're going to hold the class up. They're always afraid to come. Like, Oh, I'm not good enough for that. I, I'm going to hold the class up. I can't go to one of your classes. And I'm like, what? Wait. The, the <laughs> class will be worse than it already is. If you're not there because of that super high speed SWAT cop that's there, the class is going to be better because in our debriefs after every segment, he will bring up some really awesome points that a lot of the new people have never even considered and don't need to consider for a little bit, but they know that's coming down the pipe later on. And then that brand new shooter is going to bring up something that that uh, SWAT cop has kind of not thought about in a long time, but that cop should be because he's failing at it at some level. And that's a great point. 
every single person in the class brings something that makes the class better. That brings up a teachable moment or something there. And I've never, ever had a student that was so bad they held up the class. I have tools and I have policies. I have things that I can do and, and that, that will not let the, even, let the other class know that this person is holding up the class and I will make sure they're not holding up the class and I will safeguard their ego so that they're, they're still in a frame of mind where they're learning and not feeling like crap. Um, because I have a very, I maintain a very positive environment and I, I don't, uh, the only people I've ever asked, to, to sit out is people who are going to get hurt. That was my next question. Something <laughs> because of their physical fitness, like, Hey, you need to sit out this next drill or something. Uh, there was one guy I, I kept having him sit out because he kept sitting down when we were doing stuff and he wasn't doing the prep stuff to get ready for some more difficult stuff. I don't like the word advanced. Uh, I've been making a living with a gun in my hand for 22 years. I can't wait to get to the advanced stuff. You know, one of these days I'm going to get to take one of these advanced classes and they're actually going to have something advanced in them. But it's, um, but he kept sitting out on drills and he wasn't really ready for the more complex things that we were going to do. And I was very, very overweight. And uh, I was like, Hey, you're going to have to sit out the rest of these right here. You can jump into something we do a little later on, but for now you have to sit out. And, and I was like, but don't, don't sweat it, man. I'm going to, I'm going to refund your money. And uh, if you promise me one thing, that you'll go get a gym membership, and because uh, you, you're going to die of, of a heart attack <laughs> way before you get in a gunfight. Well, I I, he, I, I want to sign up for the class because I think you'd give me my money back. <laughs> <laughs> we don't call him Big Keith for nothing, Daniel. Um, I, I I just want to point out a couple things because I mean, like, there's a lot there, and I just want to kind of uh, debrief it for a second because. So first off, I mean, like, I, I really agree with what you said. It's funny, like the whole like head in a swivel. Like it's it's funny. Like we all say it, but like, I just had a conversation with someone the other day, uh, and he's a very capable um, fighter. And I was saying, like, in my opinion, you know, like if you're carrying a gun, you owe it to yourself and your family when a situation happens to de-escalate it as much as as you possibly can to avoid we the fight as much this, yeah yeah you and i were talking about like that that whole chipotle thing like like there was no reason for you to draw a gun there's no reason for it like if you can avoid that avoid yeah, it you, you know what we're costs. talking about i do not so, so there is so give him a quick give him a yeah, quick a, 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 a quick one there there was um a woman who bumped into another woman while oh, this was the woman holding the other woman at gunpoint yes yes, at, yes because they bumped into the daughter at chipotle Yep. And, and I and, was saying to Keith, I was saying to Keith, like that woman, you know what? Just like fall on your sword. So I'm so sorry. Like, I mean, beg for forgiveness, but you do not want to draw that firearm. Like you do whatever you have to do to avoid that situation. And I don't think that that person did, you know, I think they could have done a lot more to be humble. And, and I, you know, I said that you're humble uh, at the beginning and I mean that like, you know, you definitely have to be prepared to use it. Right, Dan. Right. And Mike, we all agree on that, yeah. but, but I don't think that what, Again, we 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 didn't we don't know the whole story. We didn't see every bit of everything that happened. I read the um, day John Korea posted extra self protection that he interviewed her and he indicated that there was uh, not a lot of things that were there were a lot there were a lot of things that were not captured in video. Um, yeah, and I'm, I haven't seen this yet. I think he said it's going to be up tomorrow or something. But I, I'm really okay. curious about what the rest of the story is there. I, I would be too. I what, what, what yeah. is because based on the information we have, I, I have to agree with you. What am I yeah. looking with for on that, Dan? Because I'd be really interested to, to be able to read that. Uh, John Korea, Active Self-Protection. I think he was going to put it on one of his sites or one of his YouTube channels. Yeah, oh, I, okay. I know what it is, Keith. I can get it to you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. But there's um, an example then, of what we're talking about, right, Mike? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, so then the other the other thing I wanted to mention was you you talk, you know, Keith asked about, you know, your classes and it just goes back to what I had said earlier. I mean, like, you know, you could be the instructor and I actually had an instructor and I don't, I would go back to his class. But like there were points where he was like yelling and cursing at people. And I'm like, I, I just was like, I don't know, man, like, is this necessary? Like you're, you're really that mad right now? And the fact that you're saying that everyone has a place in your classes, I think, you know, it, I think that's great because you, you as a community, we want as many people, capable people that are pro Second Amendment and pro firearm as possible. So the fact that you nurture that and that you allow that 
is a good thing on many, many levels, but I and, think it's and rare now for more, people. And more than ever, we need a place for new shooters to be able to feel yeah, comfortable. Th- th- to there's do those a things. lot of good firearms instructors out there. There really Definitely. is. Agreed. I, I Agreed. know a lot of them. There's a lot of good ones. And, and there's, there's enough students to go around for all of us. And so I, I don't talk bad about other instructors, even the ones that I don't agree with that I don't like. Yep. There's, th- there's, there's other instructors that I love that are really good friends of mine, but I don't agree with them on a lot of stuff, but we're still friends. And, uh, but there's one thing that I don't like. Um, it's not for me. It's not really for my family. It's not really often somebody that I recommend for my students unless they're, um, they have something really special that, that this student needs because of their work or whatever they're doing. And only this instructor can present it, uh, the best. Um, but I, I, I think the instructor should be setting the example of self-control out there on the range, yeah. uh, the yelling and screaming and the, the, the extreme negativity and the, and the massive ego. Uh, I just think it's counterproductive in, in many ways. I have no idea what instructor you're talking about and to please don't tell me. Um, no, I won't. um, but just the whole, that, that the attitude of, um, of belittling someone who, who did something wrong and maybe they did something wrong multiple times, but they're so far out of their comfort zone. You know, I live with a gun every day of my life and I'm on the range all the time and everything right. else. And I've, I've done this forever. And it's, uh, see if it feels that way. It's like, this is a lot of these things are second nature, but it's, it's not for these people. And, and it's, uh, in a lot of the ways it's like the, one of the, the, to even get up and go to that class is one of the scariest things that they've ever done. Absolutely. And one of, and one of the bravest and most courageous things they've ever done in their life. Right. And, Definitely. uh, so it's, 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 I, I, I'd hate seeing that, um, when somebody does that, you, a human is not going to surprise me if I'm going to, if you see me pissed off, like it's going to be rare. It, I'm not gonna say it doesn't happen, but it, it is pretty rare. You could ask my wife, like, I don't get pissed off at home. Like I, I'm super easy to get along with pretty chill all the time. Humans stop surprising me with stupid things that we do and mean <laughs> and hateful things that we do a really long time ago. So it's like, it, I think for me to be angry, I'd have to be surprised by this action. I know what the students are going to do wrong on the range. I know what problems they're going to have, why they're missing the target or not hitting the aiming area that they want to hit. I know what questions they're going to ask. I know what they're going to do when they're, I'm thinking all the time, how's he going to shoot me? How's he going to muzzle me? How's he going to do this? Especially when we're doing certain drills. Um, and that's what is in my mind all the time. And I'm, I'm seeing, okay, this is how it's going to happen because I've seen this 20 times, right? So it's like, and I stop it before it does. So it's, uh, it's, they don't surprise me you know it's 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 pretty rare so keith um actually daniel let me start with with you first so recently keith and i had an opportunity to take a a friend of ours who happens to be she self-admittedly she's uh a democrat she's liberal (laughs) but she wanted to learn how to shoot and she asked us if we would take her to the range and let her shoot a couple of our 22s and whatnot and we took her and we did a, a quick in before we went into the range house we did a quick safety briefing. We, we showed her all the nomenclature, blah, blah, blah. We did, you know, set up, set up the range, brought the targets out. And one of the things now, now I'll switch over to you, Keith. One of the things that I had heard, actually heard Daniel say, I don't know when, but it stuck with me. And ever since then, it's something that I've kind of held on to Daniel is, and the example was the, um, using the term clip instead of magazine. Mm-hmm. And what you had said was, who cares if a new shooter calls it a clip we don't need to correct them. We don't need to like badger them and, and berate them over using the like they right. saw that in a movie. They used the wrong term. Who gives a crap? Well, there's a time and a place to correct. And that. that's yeah. and that's exactly I believe what you said, Daniel, was we'll correct that down the road. Right. And man, that was like I, I heard you say that. And I'm like, man, we are a bunch of a-holes in this in this world. Yeah, we turn these because- people away all the time. That we we always want more people to, to support the Second Amendment and fight for it. But as soon as they try to come over, we we beat them up because they call something the wrong name. The and- jargon. They don't know the jargon. Yeah, of course they don't. They just got here. And and I, yeah. I said, we talked, actually, me and Mark talked about this recently on the podcast. The, uh, I'm not trying to continue to plug the podcast. You already did. Um, no, no, of course you should. No, yeah, as much as you want to. <laughs> Thanks. This exact thing, um, the whole uh, idea is like I've got, I've got sixteen, eighteen hours in two days with with these students, especially the brand new ones. There's a lot of things that I want them to understand and be inspired to increase their understanding on, and and none of them are what a magazine's called, right? It, there's so many things that I put higher in the level of precedence uh, than that. Yep. Yeah, I um, you know, like with this new, with you know, all the craziness in the world right now, gun sales are going crazy. And Keith and I have had a couple of people on the show, and one of the one of the spots we did was about how do what do we do with these new people? So let what do we do with people who are 
formerly anti-gun, maybe Democrats or liberal, they they hate the gun world, and now all of a sudden they're coming to gun shops and they're asking stupid questions. And and Keith, you tell me if I'm if I'm lying. What did I say? I don't think that we turn them away. I don't think that we we talk down to them. I think that we have to welcome them and be as kind as we can because we have an opportunity to build the community. And that's pretty much what I, I mean. Am I wrong on that? No, no, that's definitely what our, our, the stance has always been. I, I agree with it, you know, but still it seems to happen. And, and, uh, the other, the other thing that we talk about on this topic and Daniel, I won't, I'd love to hear your opinion on it also is, you know, these new shooters, they have to get involved with their priorities now that they are gun owners what is being able to continue to have the right to own this gun important to them anymore and you know that we we don't have any discussion about that you know and it's just i've got a lot of compliments over the years um when people listen to the podcast like man i jump on these podcasts people talk about politics forever and ever and they do this and that and they talk about how bad obama is and everything else we try not to do that hopefully we're not they're like i really appreciate that you don't do that and you just get on here and talk about you know defense training mindset stuff and uh and uh, because i i am a you know they'll say that they're a hardcore liberal uh but they are firm believers in the second amendment there's a lot of those that are are democrats hardcore socially liberal people but but they are 100 percent for the second amendment and the responsible ownership of firearms all that uh there's a lot of those but they say quiet because they can't be loud among their circles of other liberals and they're not accepted by us so they don't really have a place to go and it sucks for them. And, yeah. uh, but, but we totally need those people because those mm-hmm. are going to be the, the gateways to get to everybody else over there on that side. Uh, when people start seeing that. And I, I think this, the, the, the COVID and, and riots and, and everything else is maybe one of the best things that's happened to second amendment in a very, Definitely. very long time. Yeah. Cause we, yeah. we've been in a fight for a long, we still are, but, and the NRA's falling apart and tons of other things falling apart and, and we're, We've been the the opposition has done a really good job of pitting our sections and cliques within the firearms community against each other. So they're very uh, savvy, Daniel. Oh, they're yes. very savvy. Yep. So it's it's worked in a lot of ways against it. So this is great. They've turned it very binary. You know, it's it's a one or a zero. You're either on it or you're against it, and there's no room for discussion anymore. And it's not just gun talk. It's just not firearm or the Second Amendment that 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 applies to applies to almost any political or, or, you know, uh, a moral discussion that you could possibly think of. But Man, we, I got oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I say, I, my, uh, there's a guy who trains with me regularly that wears a, uh, uh, LGBTQ flag on his, on his plate carrier or chest rig, you know, like, I think he's awesome. I, I never really talked to him about it. Uh, I've had a trans woman that I used to trained one-on-one often down in, uh, in Charlotte. It's, uh, I, I really don't care who you are where you how you dress what bathroom you use uh none of that this the second amendment thing is not for an esoteric group of people it is absolutely for every uh i would say solid human being with a sound mind um then uh and and ethics and morals then uh it's for everybody it does not matter what what else you you care about or you vote for or your priorities are we all have that inherent right to self-defense man that that statement alone is phenomenal, and uh, and I, I think a good place for us to to end it. So yeah, to, to wrap. I don't want to say anymore. That was like a, like perfectly put, man. But um, where can people find you online and and on social media? And you know, where's all your stuff? Uh, I'm Daniel Shaw zero three six nine on pretty much all social media. Um, I I drop stuff on uh, you know Instagram and and Facebook. I got a Facebook page. It's, it's got a quite a few followers out there i don't know how many people of them are real followers or if they're all from like you know bangladesh or something well please tell them about us <laughs> well you want those bangladeshis listening yeah i mean we yes, we do. Second amendment soon. Um, <laughs> for sure the uh yeah daniel shaw 0369 gun mag warehouse youtube channel is where we put a lot of video content up and we're about to have a lot more going up podcast goes up on the blog at gun mag warehouse because uh, gunfighter cast is getting rebranded at the end of this month to the mag life blog falling under the whole gun mag umbrella uh, we have podcasts come out every thursday very nice and of course uh short strategies i'm assuming is uh that's easy enough to find right yep shawstrategies.com it's uh i've got a I've got six or seven more classes this year. So, Daniel, on this show, we have a 
we have a little tradition, a little game we play called Run and Gun, and I was hoping you'd play with us. Uh, I'm going to ask you 10 rapid-fire questions, and I just want you to give me the first answer that comes to your mind. You down with that? Let's do it. All right. All right, so number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? Well, what it used to be a PWS Mark 110, now it's a PWS Mark 111 because I just got a new upper for it. All right. What gun would you buy if money was no object? If money was no object, can I not buy a gun? Because I'm not totally into guns. Yes. What would you buy? Probably a really cool, like, big steel building on 40 acres of land with a berm and uh, build, like, a, a bedroom area in there and a big kitchen on one corner of it. And we'd live in a big steel building that I could pull my RV in. No, it's like base camp for all the fun things I like to do. It'd be awesome. By the way, I'm down... I'm down with the big building. I think it'd be yeah, cool we, to have a factory we, to we do cool We talked about stuff. garages, like cool garages. You can do everything in it. Yeah. The whole, yeah. The one whole side of the steel building is a garage. Yeah. It's like exactly. Toys in there. Um, <clears throat> if you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who would it be? Oh, geez. One person living or dead. Man, that's tough. And that may change on like a daily basis. Be tough. All right. <clears throat> We're going to move on. Number four, favorite caliber. Depends. Depends <laughs> on what I'm doing. <laughs> the most Gotta difficult running, the most difficult yeah. running gun we've done. Yeah, <laughs> five five six. Okay, I'll pick that. Okay. Perfect. Most that nine millimeter. I shoot the most of it. Right. You're gonna love this next one. Favorite hobby, not gun related. Uh, either writing bad fiction or playing video games. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Resurrection. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Trained. I can get armed. Is it better to be loved or feared? Loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Rifle. All day. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? Dude, these are hard, man. Like, Take Scotty. Take Scotty. You're trying to find him anyway. I don't know what kind of shape he's in right now, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, but you know, the guy that I hang out with every day right now, I'd probably pick Var Creeborn with me. Like, If we're going to go throw down, because I, I know he's ready to do violence. Well, I have to say, that was not the uh, smoothest running gun, Daniel, I'm but sorry. we did get through it. Man, you, I, I think too much. You got to tell me how to think. Let's mix it up. All right. So today on Let's Mix It Up, we have a, uh, a question about mental toughness. And Daniel, you actually inspired this, uh, this segment. So uh, you had posted a picture on your Instagram of you shooting in this ridiculous, you were like resting the barrel on your foot and you were like kind of like all like laying down and it was crazy and you wrote on instagram hurt or injured there's always a way to fight you just have to find it and i was like man i'm like that is a great quote and it takes a lot of mental toughness to fight through that kind of stuff so i said to keith i was like man like let's talk about mental toughness you know what i mean like so keith i'm gonna start off with you man like we we were talking about like different things and Keith is a big car guy, Daniel. So he's actually raced on, uh, he's done like racing schools and he, you know, he definitely has to drive pretty fast. And Keith, I have to imagine that when you're driving like that, that there has to be some mental toughness involved in that. Is that fair to say? I, I think so. I mean, I've definitely witnessed it. Um, the first, uh, a memory that I that comes to mind about having mental toughness is I was at a uh, academy with um, with AMG in uh, Lime Rock, Connecticut, and uh, the um, basically you went through some training in the first half of the day, and then the second half of the day was open open um, open track, and you got to drive really awesome cars from Mercedes. It was a lot. Of, it was a blast, and people were not able to. They didn't have the the, the mental toughness, the stability, the sta- the stigma, or the uh, stamina. I apologize to to get in these cars all day long, drive them hard, and not crash them. There were people pulling over in the pits, getting out of the car, throwing up. And I was like, "Is anyone getting back in this car? Can can I get back in this one? The guy, the one that just got thrown, you know, threw up over there." And uh, it, it, it is it's it, it is definitely something that you have to concentrate on and and be able to you know pick points in the road pick the right times to break, the right times to accelerate, you know, I may throw you for a loop right here, but I'm not sure if that's mental toughness or if that's more of an objective mindset because you wanted to be good at this. You wanted to learn it and nothing was going to stop you because of your strong willpower, your objective mindset. So, but in your, your mental toughness is something that helped carry you through that. 
but the reason that you were be able to do it because you 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 had a, you were on a mission more than they were, and you were willing to to persevere through some things that they weren't willing to because you had a stronger objective mindset. I, I definitely was on a mission. I, I joke about it all the time. I was the second fastest guy out of like forty two guys, forty five guys, and there were a few girls too. And um, I remember the one instructor coming up to me and was like, you know, you'd probably be the fastest guy out here if you lost fifty pounds. <laughs> Huh. And I was like, well, thank you, I think. So, I mean, Daniel, I mean, like, you you know, I I can't, Keith can't really relate to the things you did when you were in the Marine Corps. Not I at just, all. I just can't, no. you know, not even close. But like, so, I mean, like mental toughness is like a, a, for you is a totally different level. Yeah. But I think mental toughness shows up in, in many places. And, you know, what do you think helps develop that? Is there, is there things we can do that help develop mental toughness? Yeah. And I don't think I'm as mentally tough as I used to be when I was like on active duty and I was the older guy hanging out with a bunch of 18 to 22 year old, you know, young Marines. Um, I, I had to, and they're all been better shaped than me. Uh, but I, and I, you know, I'm like 34 years old or something and 35 years old, I guess. Yeah, no, 34, probably I got out 34, 35. Um, they're, uh, they're all in better shape than me. And I'm, considered like an old guy got gray hair and stuff and uh i i would have to be I, w- I would go run them with packs and machine guns until there was like three of them able to stay with me and everybody else had fell back and they were all in better shape than me i just had more heart and i was more mentally tough than they were and it's uh just how just to maintain that uh like hey i don't mess with me you know i'm, I'm still the guy in charge and this is why it's the kind of thing because you got to kind of you got to it's a i know we don't curse on this so we'll say a, a penis measuring contest every single day <laughs> constantly um so it's uh I, I developed a lot of that over the years and and just and i i think i hate running like i don't enjoy running but i run a lot i ran a few half marathons last year yeah. i'm gonna run a marathon this year because i just turned 40 and i've never ran a full marathon i've ran a lot of half marathons. well i'd say a lot of a few um but i've never ran a full marathon and I, I everybody says that when you wait till you're 40 man people have been telling me that for wait till you turn 40 and i'm like yeah i ain't living like that i'm gonna go run a marathon when i turn 40 i don't know what you're doing but it's uh i, I hate running but i love the feeling of of having ran it's kind of like writing. I, I sometimes I enjoy the process. Sometimes I don't, and it's like work. But after I finish something and I like it, and it makes me cry and it makes me laugh when I read it, I, there's nothing better than the feeling of having written. It's like the best, and it's like having ran is the best. And I, I like long distance running only because I haven't found anything else in my life that just makes me severely uncomfortable every single second. Every yep. step is uncomfortable. Every step yeah. is testing I've definitely yourself. talked you to around. I, I definitely have talked to a couple long distance runners and and it sounds like that's pretty men, you know some serious mental toughness to get through that. You know, yeah. you have to, I you have um, to get Daniel past I I a couple 3 years ago now I I started doing um Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah, it'll wear and, you out. Too. <clears throat> what's that? So that'll wear you out too. Yeah, and you know, I, so let's let's put it this way. I'm definitely one of the smaller guys in the gym. I'm definitely on the older end. I'm I'm in my uh my 40s. And truthfully, if I'm being honest, like and I'm I'm definitely my harshest critic, but I, I you know, I'm not really good at it, man. I I struggle with it. It's hard for me, you know, and I, I don't pick it up. The learning curve is definitely steep for me and but there are days I come home and you know, I joints are hurting. I feel like I got like beat up like pretty bad and I'm in the shower and like, you know, the water's beating down on me and I'm just like, like, I'm done, man. Like I, this, no, I, I can't do it anymore, you know? And then like I, one of the things I kind of written down as a note is like ways to develop mental toughness is you have to see the big picture. And what I mean by that is quitting going to make it better. You know, like if, if you've gone halfway through the, through the, the pits of hell, you're going to get singed either way. You might as well keep on going because if you go back, you're still going to get burnt. You know what I mean? Like, so there's days where I'm like, man, I'm going to quit. And then I'm like, the fuck you are. You know, I, I shouldn't curse, but I'm man, going to. Nobody has rule. ever done anything that's truly worth doing that was easy. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. Like, it doesn't work that way. Like anything that you're really going to feel fulfilled or you're really going to get something out of it. Or you're really going to help somebody or you're really going to inspire yourself or somebody else. Like there's, like, if, if it was easy, everybody would be in there training BJJ. They'd all be putting right, in yeah. the work and the hours and getting the cardio and be going home in like a full body sore. It's not, it's like a different kind of sore. You know, it's like, it's right. like a, it's like you done worked every single joint there is. Cause you were, 
and as you get better, you'll relax more, right? And it won't be quite as bad, yeah. but still like there's this, there is a huge curve there that could last years. <laughs> I mean, it's BJJ is a, is a pretty crazy thing. I have never done anything that I am proud of. That was easy. Like right. I, 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 I'm not proud of anything that I've ever done. That was easy. Nothing. Yep. I read a quote today and it said, I've never lost. I just ran out of time. And I'm like, damn, that's a great quote, right? Like if you do something your whole life and you go to your grave and, and you were doing it till the day you died, you didn't lose. Nah. You just kept doing it and doing it and doing it and it never beat you. You can't be beat if you refuse to quit, right? Well, that's how I safeguard my 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 mental state, my mental toughness, my you know, you could argue a little warrior spirit, maybe that's a little different, but uh my ego at the same time. Everything to me is practice. Like this podcast being on here with you and you and you, you gentlemen interviewing me, uh, I'm practicing for for the best podcast interview I, I ever give. This is this isn't it. My last one needs to be the best ever. Well, you started off with a bang with that introduction. Yeah. You, you guys set me up, right? You set the expectation <laughs> high. I don't know if I could live up to those, but but I say everything's practice for me. You know, like everything that I, uh, this, whatever, like uh, I'm working on a novel and I got a screen, it's already in a, a full feature length screenplay and uh, it's done pretty well in some, some uh, and it's even won a film festival, done pretty well in some other ones, but there's things about it that I hate and I think it sucks. And then there's some people read it and they're like, yeah, I don't really like that part of this and that. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm not upset about that because this is, this was this whole, I, I wrote this whole thing to practice so I get good at it and I learn how to do everything. So my next one's going to be good. And then my next one will be good then. So it's like, I, it, everything is practice for me. I look at everything in life. Like it's practice for the main event and the main events coming, you know, like I'm just sharpening my ax. I got a story about that too, about a metaphor for, you know, you got to protect your ax. You got to keep it in a sheath. You don't let somebody else use your ax who doesn't care about your ax. That's your intellect, yourself, your body. It could be any of those things. You don't let somebody else use that or take advantage of it if they don't care about your ax as much as you do. You keep that ax sharpened every day. You're always reading a book, learning something. You're doing something to keep your ax sharpened. Uh, you don't let somebody bang it against concrete and, and dull the edge. You don't want to dull your spirit. You don't want to do any of those things. You safeguard this axe all the time and you're always making this axe better because one day you're going to run across a tree and one day when you hit that tree you're going to need to chop that tree down your axe is going to need to be sharp because it might be a big tree and it's it, it, you have to do this like you don't have any other choice so it's all metaphor but i everything is practice to me everything is maintenance and that's the way i think of a lot of things yeah i i totally agree well i think it's time for the boys to sit around and shoot the shit on this next segment, <clears throat> we are going to go the opposite of mental toughness, and we're going to go with what I think might actually make us weaker, and that is our guilty pleasures. Uh, so, Keith, I'm going to I'm going to go with you here because I said, Keith, we're going to do something about guilty pleasures, uh, and what did you say? I said I don't have any pleasures that are guilty. <laughs> He's struggling. So, Daniel, full disclosure, Keith is really struggling with this. So, and, I, and the reason yeah. why, Dan, let me give you this little context of me. I'm just a very rational person. I, I'm, I, my wife tells me I'm rational. My parents have always told me I'm too rational. Like, I just see things like the way it is. And when you tell me I have to have a guilty pleasure, I'm like, the things that I enjoy, I do not feel guilt about. Well, approach it this way then. Because I don't have anything that I have a guilty pleasure about, but I do have things that I believe that other uh, big, strong, masculine men would have guilt, feel guilty pleasure about it. So look at it that way. Okay, like, okay. Like, so like, somebody else who is not as enhanced and enlightened as you are. <laughs> okay, okay. What, what I told him, you're, you're being too nice to him. What I told him was, <laughs> I said, Keith, you're overthinking it. It's, it, it's, just, it's just a figure of speech, but... You know, like I think that the easy one, like anybody gets like, you know, like eating, like, you know, you, you eat food you shouldn't eat, like that's a good, but like I, I thought about this long and hard and I said, you know what my guilty pleasure is? And I do feel guilty because it takes away time from other people in my life that it shouldn't. And dude, I am a notorious daydreamer. And what I mean by that is this, we had a guest on the show where we were talking about RV camping and the, the minute I ended the episode. Guess what I've been looking up ever since nonstop, <laughs> even though I have no money to buy one. I can't help it. I just am constantly looking at RVs now. Or Keith and I, you and I were talking about uh, classic I have cars. one for sale. Do you? You know, I lived in an RV for like three years. 
<laughs> it's a big. But you know though. what? If you put it, yeah. But you know what? I can't afford it. But if you put it online, I will look at it for hours on end. <laughs> You'll look at okay, good deal. <laughs> I like it. So my guilty pleasure is I just you know. I, I should be like like doing stuff with my kid and I'm like, oh, I got to look at RVs or I got to look at classic cars or I got to look at new podcast equipment or I dream about building a podcast studio, even though I'm not ready to do that yet, but it, I can't help it. I, I'm a daydreamer it, and it fuels me. It fuels my passion for things because even though I maybe I can't afford it or I'm not ready for it, it's what drives me to keep working hard, making money, you know, supporting my family because I want to have nice stuff and do nice things. So my guilty pleasure I'm a daydreamer. Those sound that's, like all good it. things to me. They don't sound like you they should be guilty good. about them. <laughs> Nobody said guilty pleasures are bad. They're just guilty pleasures. So, Daniel, do you have any? Uh, we won't. Well, that's just. Do you want to just say pleasures? Things that things that make you happy? What, sure. That's what maybe you, you should start. Maybe you should start writing if you have all these daydreams. You start understanding story and turning them into stories. Maybe you're a big writer, right? Like that's. I know you like I mean, that. I, I wouldn't use the word big writer. I, I would say <laughs> big writer. You don't you write it. in big letters. I, I would I would quit everything if I could just sit and, and write bad fiction and people would buy it. I don't know. It's uh, I can't say that's my guilty pleasure, but the uh, I, I, maybe not writing is a is a guilty unpleasure. You know, I, I got lots of them. I like Oreos, Chips Ahoy cookies. Man, I'll tear up some chocolate chip cookies like my kryptonite. Uh, <laughs> I love Avril Lavigne. Uh, I look. Wow, at, I, that's I, a guilty pleasure. I look at TikTok pleasure. and comment on stuff on TikTok. Like, it, do you really? Dude, TikTok is awesome. If, I other than the Chinese spy account. thing, because the U.S. government needs to have a monopoly on spying on the U.S. citizens. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> dude, there's this section TikTok. Look, you you jump on TikTok, you're gonna find these pretty girls wearing crop tops that, that do these stupid little dances, right? You're gonna run across this shuffle dance thing that I think is the coolest thing ever. Like, holy crap, they must spend like ten hours a day working on these movements that they're doing because this is impressive. <laughs> um, I, I've even tried to learn a few of them. I'm not good at it, but it, it's it's a very good exercise and workout trying to. And I probably look like a moron doing it, but but what I love about it is. There's these. There's tons of people with Down syndrome on there. There's people with like severely disfigured faces from birth defects. A dude who tried to suck start a shotgun. Man, I gotta give this person because I, I mean I love people, right? I'm not one of these guys who is like uh, I give zero f's because I, I despise the idea of of uh, that whole idea of, of like not giving an f about anything. Like because I I think a, a true a, a man, a true gentleman, a true good human being uh, gives tons of f's. I give them all day long, and it's how many they give, and what they give f's about is what measures that level of that man. So I hate this whole idea of like uh, uh, I've got none to give because I got tons to give, and uh, so I, I see these these people, and I'm like, man, this person needs some some words of encouragement, some something nice to say. And I look in the comments, and there's 500 people saying something nice to them, and I'm like, wow, is this the internet? Like they're being nice and encouraging awesome. to this person who looks yeah, like cool. a monster. And then I, I make a comment and then these things keep jumping into my feed. And sometimes I'm sitting here like tears in my eyes, like, holy crap, how is this social media? This is not the social media that I know, right? Like it's a different world. Go to, to watch some of my YouTube right. videos and read some of the comments, right? Like, like there, there's some vile creatures out there, right? But it's pretty uh, – <laughs> TikTok's got some really cool, unique stuff going on uh, beyond Well, I might have to try this guilty pleasure. I haven't uh... – yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, I man. mean, uh, Keith Keith doesn't really do uh, social social yeah. media too much, but I I have to say, Keith, you owe Daniel a major major thank you because he told he had so much guilty pleasure that he just let you. <laughs> I was getting guilty pleasure for you, right? Thank you, yeah, I appreciate hey, it. I I'm all about positivity, man. I, I had some cops at OTOA that they 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 every year they they talk about. It. I'm like, oh, you're gonna take a class with Daniel? You know, he's like the Matthew McConaughey of the firearms industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, a great. That's a great endorsement. I, no, it's a huge think? compliment for me. I, I take it like because yeah. like, this guy's philosophy and. Matthew did you tell your wife that you were like I'm the Matthew McConaughey? Oh yeah, she knows. <laughs> did you have to walk around? Did you have to walk around with no shirt on for like a month? Like that? <laughs> yeah, no. Always have an excuse to take your shirt off. It's, uh, <laughs> no, but I think the whole idea, like, because I, I, I'm all about like being positive and, and sharing positivity. You know, with like my little Tango Yankee chips that I I, I sell I, and stuff like I that. I try movement. to be that way like, too. It's cool, man. I got yeah. I I I this is something I realized in just the last few years of of how much that can change your life and change other people's lives. And I wish I'd have known it many years ago. I'd have been a better person. Yeah, and I probably I, would have helped other people be better people. 
I think it's obvious to anybody listening to this show. When I started the show, you know, started this episode, I started by saying you're not like most Marines that maybe people think of or the the stereotype, and that you're very humble and and uh, man, you did not disappoint. I think uh, I think it's obvious that you are exactly what I build you to be. So um, I want to thank you for being on the show. I mean, we're a new show and. You're a, you're, you've been in the industry for years and I appreciate you just giving us a chance to have you on here. Um, yeah, Daniel, I, I can't thank you enough. I mean, you, you know, I, I remember when Mike asked me to, to be a part of this with him and, and your name came across and, and he, he was, he said, I, I had to go listen to a couple podcasts so that I got a feel for what we could be doing here. And, uh, you've definitely inspired both of us. So, so thank you very much. And, and thanks for making Mike's dream come true to talking with you on, on his own podcast. Well, I hope it wasn't like a dream come true. Well, I maybe <laughs> sold it a little higher low, than it was, but, but he's excited to have you here. I, he's excited to have you here. Well, I'm excited to see what the podcast turned into. I mean, I'll give it a share and stuff. I don't know how much it'll, how good it'll do, but I'll, I'll do my best, but yeah. Appreciate it, man. Well, uh, anybody out there listening, you know, make sure that you uh, check out all the social me- social media for uh, Daniel. He obviously does really great stuff, and I'm a big fan, so I- I'm sure a lot of people listening will like it as well. And if you like this episode, we'd appreciate a five-star review, and of course, leave a comment on iTunes. We'll read any comments you leave in future episodes. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Gun Experiment so we can keep the conversation going. 